name is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 192. So we've eight more before the big two zero zero. What are we going to do? Um, have a party. Cool. A pizza party. Because we never do that. No. <laughs> Zen Parenting Radio is a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 6, 9, and 11. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember, sweetie, that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And um, always remember that our marketing strategy is that we don't really have one. Yes. So we rely on our listeners to tell their friends. Our marketing strategy is universal trust. That's right. We're just trusting that the word's going to get out, but we kind of need your help. Well, we do our work to the best of our ability and with integrity, and then the universe rises up to meet us. So it's not that we just lay around and think. No, we're not laying around. I'm busy. I'm busy too. Who do you got on your coffee mug Oh, there? just a little, I want a girl's left a toy right where I sit hmm. and record this show. So now the toy is sitting on my coffee. Perfect for the listeners. I, well, they can't they see, can't it. see I it. Well, it's just a little bear, but he's cute. Um, so we have a very clip-heavy show. We're going to okay. be playing some clips from a documentary that we just came across called Moving Forward. It actually was posted on Shafali's page. Okay. So if you and I and a lot of people have shared it, um, we'll put it on our page. Okay. And we'll put it in the show notes, and maybe we'll even put it on our Zen Parenting Radio yeah. Facebook page. Okay. So we're going to play three different clips from that, all about a minute long, give or take. And um, then I'm going to play something um, from a book that I'm listening to called The Myth of the Spoiled Child Mm -hmm. by Alfie Cohen. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that. We're also going to be accountable to our kids for something that happened last week that we screwed up on. We totally did. We screwed up. We screwed up. And uh, lastly, but actually firstly, let's talk about BU and some of the changes that are being made. You just said lastly, but firstly. Well, lastly in my list, but first we're going to talk about it in the show. Oh, we are. We're going to do it right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. So what's going on with BU? Well, I'm not going to get into all the... First of all, what is BU? BU is our company. Uh BU Inc. is the company where everything we do falls under it. Um, BU Inc. um, has Zen Parenting Radio. My books, my book is coming out. Mm -hmm. Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn is coming out in a few months, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, and it, it is, our company is also the presentations that I do and that Todd and I do together. It's the classes that we have and it is, um, what, what am I missing? I feel like I'm missing a big thing. Uh, Zen parenting. Uh, books, podcasts, podcast, well, obviously the podcasts and the blogs, blogs and my Chicago women's parents circle, stuff, men's, women's circle, what, men's group. Yeah. They're in, and the community, um, oh, movies, screenings, community. Yeah. Screenings. We just did a screening last week. We did a screening of race to nowhere last week. And we're also, um, doing something in October. What's the date? October 8th at Bethel church, Bethel uh, learning center on it's actually in the church. It's in the church. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on St. Charles in Elmhurst, and it's a replace the race. So it's a half hour summary of the movie and then followed up by a good discussion about how we advocate change for our children, both in the school and in our family and our household and everything else. So if you didn't get to see Race to Nowhere, this gives you an opportunity to get the gist. Again, it's a, it's a shorter version of the movie, right. including some updates on th- changes that have been made around the country. But it also gives you a chance to listen and to ask questions. Right. We'll facilitate a conversation yep. and a discussion. So so what's going on with BU is I'm not going to get into all the details, but one thing that I realized, especially when Todd's mom was sick, we I had to kind of figure out what is taking up most of my time and, and what 
is my joy mm-hmm. and where I know that I want to be and and pieces of work and life that um, I needed to sift through. And I actually heard a um, great quote. I think it came from Glennon Melton, who does Monastery, but she said that um, when you're in crisis or in chaos, um, it's a wonderful sifter. Yeah. Meaning like for those of you who bake, a sifter is like the things that you don't need kind of fall down and the things that are essential stay in the sifter. So I started to recognize things that I was spending my time on that um, I needed to be more conscious of. So BU is changing a little bit in that we're going to be offering instead of like little groups and like uh, organizing little groups of girls, we are going to start doing workshops for girls and boys and parents. And we're kind of, uh, you know, building this bridge as we walk on it, just like we did with BU Girls Club, where we're trying to figure out what works best. Right. But I still, what I figured out um, that this is really what I wanted to say is the teaching part. I adore. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love being with these girls. I absolutely love teaching parents. I absolutely love being a facilitator of um, conversation and change. And but organizing things and being a project manager and being someone who has to be in charge of figuring out this and that and where people are going to be, it is not my skill set. Mm-hmm. And so I've been gradually learning that through my whole life. But I say that only because. For those of you who have been a part of our BU and BU Girls Club and BU Leaders, I adore teaching your children, and I hope I can continue doing that. We're just going to do it a little bit differently. We're just going to do it in a different format that accommodates my skill set, Todd's skill set, and our time mm-hmm. because it started to get a little intensive. Well, this is kind of like um, whenever you interview rock stars who are like breaking up with their bandmates or they're just kind of going to retire or whatever – we the interviewer always asks like well did you just get sick of playing music and they always say no oh no it's the not best the music. part is being in front of people playing the music it's everything else that goes with it it's the travel and it's the logistics it's the logistics and the bureaucracy with record labels or whatever it is totally. and i feel like what you're saying is you're doing the part that you um are going to enjoy the most which is teaching yes. and you're letting go with some of the um, organizational things that went along. It was with tedious. It. Yeah. it was somewhat chaotic, and I wasn't enjoying that part, which diminished the other part, which is what I love. And here's what I'll say. Um, and you know, some of you will be like, "Well, I don't even know what you're talking about here." But for those of you who have kids, or you know, a group of girls, or a neighborhood group of girls, or a group of parents, or whatever, I am always willing to come to you and teach. I mean, if you're in Chicago land, right. I may not fly places. But if you can get a group together, I'm there. The part that I need to pull away from is doing all the organizing mm-hmm. of it. And so, you know, I just want to say that for all of our BU families and also just for spreading, you know, this change where we would like to be the people who, you know, there'll be some things we organize. I have a few workshops coming up in October and November, but they're totally doable. Mm-hmm. Like I can handle that. And so can Todd. But it's when we have them all the time that it starts to lose its. Um, the love, Mm -hmm. it starts to, the joy starts to leak out. And what, you know, one thing that when we did this race to nowhere um, showing, and a lot of people after seeing the movie, they would stand up and say, okay, what can we do? And what I realized is even though Todd said on the website, there there is a place you can click and figure out what you can do, Right. right? Yeah. But what I realized is that what I hope to do with this show, with books and everything, is to inspire people to figure out what kind of change they want to make. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite quotes that I always share with my students at Dominican on the first day is the uh, 
Thurman quote, Howard Thurman, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Mm -hmm. So instead of necessarily being the people who say, go do this, here's how you do it, organizing it, it's in, it's encouraging other people to come alive and figure out how they can, can do things. Like one of the things that, um, that I struggle with is working with, you know, with kids or a group of kids or a group of parents, and then they want the information, but then they go home and nothing else happens. Or I'll work with the child and they'll say, okay, I'm going to do the same thing at home, but my child is going to come to you and learn this. We got to kind of all do this together. I mean, if this is your thing. Yeah. And so we need to be a team. We need to work as a team. So that's, I just wanted to say that. And I just feel like this creates deeper change. Mm-hmm. I really, um, you know, Todd and I had to have a lot of deep talks about this because he was kind of concerned that I was making a rash decision. Well, and what we were doing with the girls club was extremely successful. Yes. We had a lot of people wanting to do it. We had the girls who did it absolutely loved it. Yeah. And then you threw a curveball saying, you know what, we need to modify this. We need and- to recalibrate and figure out a way to do this where I can reach the girls, reach the parents, but not feel overwhelmed by it. Because all it was doing was growing, mm-hmm. which is beautiful, right. but we're two people. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it's still girls club and mm-hmm. it still be you. That stuff doesn't change, but the way that it feels and looks changes. And I'm, and you know, one of the things that I believe, which we talk about a lot on the show, is you got when you realize something, when your gut tells you something, and especially when things happen like, you know, Todd's mom getting sick, and when you have these these realizations, don't wait until things fall apart. Right. Don't wait until you're in a, in another crisis or you've hit the floor or everybody's mad at you. Take action. And it's funny cuz Elizabeth Gilbert uh wrote on Facebook yesterday. She was talking about a um speech that Ianla Van Zant gave at, it's kind of a long story, at a workshop that Oprah did in Michigan this weekend. And she was saying that the biggest message she took away from the weekend and from what Ianla was saying was deal with things as they come rather than waiting for things to just kind of magically be figured out. Right. Because they really that really doesn't happen. Right. What happens is we hit walls and bricks fall on our head and our life falls apart and then we're forced to deal with make it. Make huge changes. Instead, make little changes as you go. Little changes. And that's what Todd and I are talking about when we say have little breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Deal with things as they come. The pain can be dealt with in the moment. What is more difficult is suffering because you're afraid of dealing with things and because you're pretending to be something you're not. That's difficult. Disappointing people is hard, but what's worse is... is Right, because you made this decision and you knew that this was going to disappoint some girls and some moms. Oh, for sure. I knew but it, uh, it was not for the greater good of the whole. No, and I hope that I can still support all these people. Like, I'm not cruising. Mm-hmm. It's just, I need to... It's going to look different. It's going to look different. Yeah. And um, so that, I just wanted to share that and I, because I think it had bigger... Um, it was bigger than just the actual act of, of changing BU around. It was about trying to walk the walk, right. you know, like, you, you know, something isn't exactly the way it should be for you. Mm-hmm. Everyone else may be great with it, right. but for you, it's not working. And so that means that you're not giving your best self. Right. So. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Um, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, they're our first partner. And Dr. Kelly adjusts uh, our whole family on a weekly basis, and she is the only one in Elmhurst that we're aware of that has her certification for pediatric chiropractic care. So she's really good with kids. She's really good with adults. Give her a call, 630-941-8733. 
Um, so that's Dr. Kelly. Now, I want to play a few clips, and um, the first one is about a minute long, and it's from a documentary called Moving Forward, and we talked a little bit about this before we press record. Uh, A lot of these people in this movie are like um, scientists or medical professionals from- Researchers. Researchers from like Harvard or Oxford and all these other- Stanford. So you'll be able to see- this if you happen to hook up uh, the link on our on our show or on our Facebook page. But, and where can you find it again? On Netflix? Uh, yes, you okay. can find it, the whole documentary on Netflix as well. And we'll put that in the uh, show notes. So, uh, But there's a few things that are really uh, quite impressive, in my opinion. And this first one is they're talking about how touch uh, helps infants. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's about a minute long. And here we go. Infants who are born premature are often in incubators and and various types of gadgetry and machinery for weeks and perhaps months. It's not known that if these children are touched and stroked on the back for just 10 minutes a day, that promotes the brain development. So human touch is essential for development. And in fact, infants who are never picked up will actually die. That's how much of a fundamental need being held is to human beings. In our society, there's an unfortunate tendency to tell parents not to pick up their kids, not to hold them, not to um, uh, pick up babies who are crying for fear of spoiling them or to, to encourage them to sleep through the night. You don't pick them up, which is just the opposite of what the child needs. And these children might go back to sleep because they give up and their brains just shut down as a way of defending against the vulnerability of being abandoned, really, by their parents. But their implicit memories will be that of a world that doesn't give a damn. Okay. Wow. So, well, first of all, now that I've listened to that a second time, obviously we are on the side of the more nurturing parent versus Mm -hmm. the discipline and the kids got to figure it out at some point. But there is also a balance there, too. And what I'm talking about is when when it's been a while but when i when we had infants um most all the time when they cried we picked them up and stroked mm-hmm. them but wasn't there a time where we were kind of sleep training them a mm-hmm. little bit and we would cry and we go in there and then we would come out and then spend would, a little less time yeah and then right. they would cry again and we give them like a minute to just cry it out mm-hmm. and then we go nurture mm-hmm. and then we go back and we like slowly build that up so mm-hmm. what i think is important about that clip is I, I don't have the belief that you never allow a child to cry so i don't want anybody to think that what but there's a balance there. Well, and I think the the balance for me is not about when do you let them cry, when do you don't let them cry. The balance for me is self-care. Mm. And if I was in a bad place or a bad state and I was not going to make a good choice when I went in and my child was crying, and when I say make a good choice, meaning I was getting frustrated or I was picking them up with a sense of anger instead of nurturing, then I knew I needed to take some time for myself, which would mean maybe the baby had to cry for five or 10 minutes while I got myself together. Right. And then I could go back in. Right. So it's not so much about, you know, let the baby cry for one minute and then go in. That's all this structural, non-heart centered, very knowledge-based way of dealing with a child. What I believe in is you got to practice some self-care and sometimes you, you know, sometimes I would need to cry outside that door and, or go lay down and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I am so overwhelmed. Get yourself together. And sometimes they would fall asleep in that time, or then you were giving yourself enough time to go back in and give it another go. Right. Um, ready for the second clip? 
Well, can I say one more thing? Is that I think what we don't understand that that I think – I don't know if this goes without saying or not, but whatever we're feeling is what our child ends up feeling from us, yes. especially energetically. energetically, especially when they're very tiny and little and are still completely energy beings. So it was a great wake up call for me when I recognized that when my children, when my oldest was a baby, where I realized when I went in there annoyed and frustrated and I picked her up and tried to rock her and she was crying harder. Mm-hmm. And when I recognized that she's just picking up on me. Yeah. That I, my job, just like it is always, this is the oxygen mask theory, this is self-care, my job is to become calm in myself so then I can calm my child down. It's not about the, – the book that really I think um, challenged a lot of people was a book Baby Wise mm-hmm. because it focused on things like put them in their own bed, stay yeah. away from them. Right. Um, very difficult. I, I it's, I've, it's been too long since I've looked at that book, so I don't want to criticize too much because I don't remember except the fact that it didn't feel right to right. me. Um, so I just wanted to say that this is about finding our own sense of calm so we can calm our child and nurture them and touch them and make them feel safe. All right. Uh, number two, this one is about childhood and it's about 90 seconds long. A lot of these uh, differences uh, are structured very early in life. Uh, in a way, the, if you like the parental experience of adversity, how tough life is or how easy it is, is passed on to children whether through maternal depression or parents being bad-tempered with their kids because they've had a hard day or just being too tired at the end of the day. And these have very powerful effects, uh, programming children's development, which we know a lot about now. But that early sensitivity isn't just an evolutionary mistake. It exists again in many different species, even seedlings. There's an early adaptive process to the kind of environment they're growing up in. But for humans, the adaptation is to the quality of social relations. And so uh, early life, how nurturing or how much conflict, how much attention you get, um, is a taster of the kind of world you may be growing up in. Are you growing up in a world where you have to fight for what you can get, watch your back, fend for yourself, learn not to trust others? Or are you growing up in a society where you depend on reciprocity, mutuality, cooperation, where empathy is important, where your security depends on good relations with other people? And that needs a a very different uh, emotional and cognitive development. And that's what the early sensitivity is about. And parenting is almost, uh, quite unconsciously, a system for passing on that experience to children of the kind of world they're in. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I just feel like that's about whatever you believe the world to be, whether it's good or bad or evil or love, uh, it's going to be passed down to your kid. So once again, it starts with us as parents. And if you think that it's a dog-eat-dog world, I think it's going to be really hard for you to raise a child that thinks that the world is good. Or that the world is somehow has their back. Right. You know, um, I think that, again, it goes back to the self-awareness piece where you have to understand that it's the way you view the world. Because what a lot of parents will tell me is I'm raising my child to be tough because this world is tough Mm. and people are going to treat them poorly. And I always reframe for them and I say, actually, that's not the way the world is. That's the way you You experience the world. So you experience the world that way. And let me say this from an empathetic standpoint, being compassionate, people have had experiences that have taught them that. 
but what we always have to question is, is there, you know, can we do a paradigm shift and look at that differently and notice that, yeah, some bad things have happened, but what, what have I learned? What have I learned about what the kind of person I want to be? What have I learned about life and death? What have I learned about how I want to live my life? And if people have treated me poorly, do I want to jump on that bandwagon and treat people poorly? Or do I recognize how important it is to treat people with respect and love? So it's a paradigm shift. You know, Marianne Williamson said, this is from The Course in Miracles, a miracle is not that everything changes around you. A miracle is an internal shift about the way you see things. So if you can see things differently, you can see you can experience the world differently. When you change the way you look at things, sweetie. The things you look at change. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, third and last one from this uh, really interesting documentary called Moving Forward. Uh, and this one talks about two things that go wrong, go wrong in childhood, either things that shouldn't happen that do or things that should happen that don't. Mm. So this is about a minute. It's pretty good. The great British child psychiatrist D.W. Winnicott said that fundamentally two things can go wrong in childhood. One is when things happen that shouldn't happen, and then things that should happen but don't. And the first category is the traumatic and abusive and abandonment experiences of my downtown Eastside patients and of many addicts. That's what shouldn't happen but did. But then there is the non-stressed, attuned, non-distracted attention of the parent that every child needs, that very often children don't get. They're not abused, they're not neglected, and and they're not traumatized. But what should happen, the presence of the emotionally available nurturing parent just is not available to them because of the stresses in our society and the parenting environment. And the psychologist uh, Alan Shore calls that proximal abandonment. When the present the parent is physically present, but emotionally absent. Mm. Physically present, but emotionally absent. Proximal abandonment. How about that. I think that's going to be a new part of what we talk about. That's a wallop. You know why it's a wallop? Because that's the wake up call. Whenever I just did a presentation last week, and when I explained to parents, you may be there. Right. You may be driving them to every event they have. You may be walking them to school, but are you there mm-hmm. or are you just doing it? Right. Are you on autopilot? Are you getting through the day or are you connecting? And parents will say, well, what does that mean, connecting? Are you aware of how you're feeling? Are you aware of what you're saying? Are you asking your children? Are you treating them with mutual respect? Are you asking them how they're feeling instead of telling them how to feel? Are you being um, in a what's the word I'm looking for? Reciprocal relationship. relationship. Are you having conversation, allowing them to speak, saying something back, relating to what they're saying? Too often we separate ourselves from our kids and we just do, do, do. And then our kids will say, you weren't there. And we'll say, oh my gosh, I'm there all the time, but you're not emotionally there. Well, I feel like this is the quantity versus quality argument. And in an ideal situation, you know, in a um, utopia um, what you have is both. Mm-hmm. You are there all the time with your kids and you're 100% invested in what it is that they're doing. That's not realistic. Mm-mm. And I struggle with which one is better. Like, cause you know, sometimes, uh, quantity it's, that's a good thing too, to, to just have their presence there. Mm-hmm. Um, but quality is the emotionally engaged one. And, um, there's so many times where I'm there, but I'm not there. Right. And it's the trick is to 
have the awareness of knowing when you're not present. And there are times that that's the re- that's the truth. It's a reality. Well, that's a reality. You can't be con- <clears throat> consciousness is a practice. Right. Being aware is a practice, and I also think there's a truth telling where there are times when the girls will say, "Come up," because sometimes I go up to the room and the three of them, or you know, we kind of all get in the same room and we have funny conversations and we do certain things. There are days where I am so wiped that I will say to them, you know what? I don't have that today. Mm. I'll read one book, but I can't do the whole you know, thing yeah. that we do. And because they know I always come back and do that, mm-hmm. meaning I've set a precedent with them that they know that I'll say that. And they'll be like, okay. They're not, they know that I will show up again. Yeah. But I'm being honest about it. I can't show up in a real way tonight. I could sit there and pretend, but that I'm resentful that I have to be there. I'm getting more exhausted by doing this versus I have the energy to read you a book and be with you, but I can't do the full on half hour where you play games and sing songs and do all the silliness. So I feel like there's a a truth telling. I also feel like if we are constantly feeling like we don't have the energy or time and our kids are constantly annoying us, we need to look at why our lives are so chaotic and stressful. And we need to make choices to remove some stresses or deal with some stresses head on, or at least start looking at them. That's the first step. Look at them and recognize if we can take some of those out, we will have more energy to be conscious. Because before I talk about conscious parenting or self-awareness with any parent, I always talk about self-care first. You can't do this unless you start recognizing the need to take care of yourself. Well, um, my biggest problem is that our three daughters are most ready to connect with us at, at the night. at the end of the day, and it's because you know right now we're in school, so you get them up, get them breakfast. They're off to school. They're back at three. They got homework. They got after school activities. We have dinner, which is kind of you know sometimes good quality time, but sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like we eat at different times, mm-hmm. and then you know they have whatever half hour or forty five minutes of technology time, and then it's time to go to bed. And that's after a long day for yeah, you for and us. I. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I feel I feel like there's a way to do it. Like you just say, maybe we say it's bedtime at six o'clock because I have more energy at six o'clock. And then, then they have their technology time after that or something like that. Well, I feel like instead of focusing on changing the structure, we focus on how we are when we're driving them to school. Right. Rather than me saying, okay, I'm going to change everything about my day so I'm more upbeat at nighttime. When I walk them to school, I'm conscious of where I am and I'm thoughtful about, you know, it's funny because one of my children, my, uh, she last year kind of got to a place where this is developmentally appropriate, but she really wasn't holding my hand anymore when we were walking into the school and she wasn't like disrespectful about it. She just kind of like, I'm all right on my own. And this year she's a year older, but she wants to hold hands again when we walk in the school. Mm-hmm. Those are little things that I'm I'm paying attention to and I'm squeezing their hand as we're walking and I'm, you know, recognizing and saying hi to other people and being present for that rather than waiting until the end of the day. And like you said, you're right on target, Todd, the the girls tend to be more open to talking, um, more vulnerable, more willing. And we're there sometimes, but sometimes that's because they don't want to go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're, they're clever. They're like, hey, yeah, now I'll be with you. Whereas I'll say at four o'clock, let's go play catch. And they're like, no, sorry, I'm getting on my, I'm getting on the computer to do my technology time. Like, that's when I want to connect. Right. So I feel like we're on different schedules. Well, and I feel like what 
you know, like I said, instead of creating a completely different schedule and making it difficult, let's be self-aware and conscious even when we're doing things like washing the dishes together. Mm-hmm. We don't have to like we don't have to go numb all day and then be self-conscious at bedtime right. or not self-conscious, be self-aware at bedtime. We need to it's the practice, you know, tick not han when you're washing the dishes wash the dishes. When you're walking your child to school, walk them to school. Be there then, and then they won't need as much give me time at the end of the day. Right. I hear you. Um, All right. Um, Anything else before we move off of this topic, this documentary? No, but I think it's, I'm so interested to watch it again. Yeah. We haven't even watched the whole thing yet. We watched a half hour clip of it today. Bits and pieces. Some of it resonated with us, so we thought we'd share it. So um, our second partner is Dr. John Kelly, and he's our dentist, but not just an ordinary dentist, sweetie. He is doing these things with our two older daughters. How about their teeth? Their teeth are straightening right before our very eyes. And expanding. And he uses a technique called facial orthotropics. So the idea, and we've talked about this before, but instead of straightening the teeth with hardwire braces, what that does sometimes is at the expense of the facial development and the airway and things like that. So instead he he actually expands uh, the mouth a little bit with these retainers or expanders expanders that he puts in their mouth. So they've had them in for about a month and I think it's going pretty well. Really well. So, um, and, and it's critical because there's a window of time. He even says this in his brochure, the earlier the treatment, the better. Usually after ages 11 or 12, it's very difficult to do this type of thing. Right. So you actually start early, whereas a lot of orthodontics, they wait till you're that age. Right. And then they straighten those teeth at the expense of other things. Retraction. So if you're in Chicago and this is interesting to you or the suburbs, we actually commute in from Elmhurst. That's how good he is. Um, give him a call. The website is chicagodentistonline.com uh, and his phone number is 773-631-6844. That's Dr. John J. He does Kelly. presentations too. He does a lot of things. He's on the cutting edge. I mean, if you ever see like what his, what he's good at, um, you know, he's well, got, just, a, he's a teacher of other dentists. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he's a rock star. So anyways, um, so now, um, let's talk about this book that I'm listening to Okay, called the myth of the spoiled child. And, um, it's got a lot of good stuff in it, but I want to play you a clip. And, uh, the, the idea of the book is that, a lot of people, media says that children are more spoiled today than they ever have been. Mm-hmm. Entitlement issues. Entitlement issues. Mm-hmm. They're narcissistic. They're mm-hmm. spoiled. And um, this guy, Alfie Cohen, I think he's a researcher or a scientist mm-hmm. or something. So he actually bases all of his findings on research, which is you know interesting. And his books have been around a long time. Yeah, so he's he's you know we're kind of catching up to him. Right, and I think this book came out in 2011. Oh, so this is a newer one. This is a okay. newer one, I believe. But anyways, I'm only two chapters through the book, but so far I'm I'm really engaged. And this clip is specific. Um, there's been all these studies about how kids are more narcissistic than they have been in the generations past, and so on and so forth. And this is a quick clip that disputes, by some other research, those presumptions. Um, So I think it's pretty interesting. So this is about a minute long, give or take. So here we go. As they explained it, quote, Every generation of young people is substantially more narcissistic than their elders, not because of cultural changes, but because of age-related developmental trends. When older people are told that younger people are getting increasingly narcissistic, they may be prone to agree because they confuse the claim for generational change with the fact that younger people are simply more narcissistic than they are. 
The confusion leads to an increased likelihood that older individuals will agree with the Generation Me argument, despite its lack of empirical support. Unquote. In other words, there's nothing unusual about today's cohort of young people. Every generation is Generation Me. That is, until they grow up. All right. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting because basically what he's saying is as soon as it's like breakfast club, when you grow up, your heart dies. Mm-hmm. And we as grown ups think that when we were kids that we romanticized certain things when we were and we have since forgotten that and we compare our own outlook on the world with the way they are looking at their world. And we're like, well, we were never like that when we were kids. And he's saying... Yes, you were. And not only that, but you're developmentally, it's a developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. When you're in your adolescent, um, pre adolescent, adolescent, teenage years, you're supposed to be self focused. Right. I even think your 20s right. are for being self right. focused. You're supposed to figure out what kind of people you want to be with, what kind of person you want to be, you know, what works best for you. I think as we grow older, especially when we, you know, partner up or we end up having children, we have to become less narcissistic just by the nature of our choices. We start to recognize how we affect other people more. And we're learning that in our teenage years and 20s. But there's a sense of we've got to grow up some point. Mm -hmm. Like it when we, you know, we do this with kids who are even before pre-adolescence, we we expect them to think like adults and they're not adults. They're in a completely different phase and we have to, we can teach and help them understand things like compassion, empathy, looking out for others, but at the same time, respect where they are developmentally. Well, and this is a little bit different, but I get triggered very easily when I hear grownups Sometimes grown-ups suck, you know, and I'm a grown-up. Well, we're like old men. We're like, get off my lawn. Yeah, and um, I get triggered when I hear other grown-ups saying, oh, it's just not the same these days. Kids kids just are spoiled. And and first of all, the research is saying that actually isn't true. Uh, The research actually says nowadays kids volunteer more than they ever have. Yeah, community service. Community service. Mm -hmm. So like chalk one up for the kids these days. But the other thing is if you really do think that kids are spoiled or whatever, don't blame the kids, blame the (laughs) grownups. I mean, it's our job to raise uh, conscious people. And if if they're not conscious, don't look to them, look at ourselves. Well, and I also think what I hear most from my friends who are interviewing people who are in their 20s and early 30s, they'll say, wow, this generation is so entitled. They're not interviewing the way I interviewed. They're not doing what I did. So we're taking our the way we did things and we're placing it on them and saying they should be doing it the way I did it. Now, there may be some truth to that that I'm not experiencing. Maybe Maybe people are quitting earlier or not giving, you know, maybe they aren't uh, showing up with integrity. There are things that I can't, you know, speak to because every situation is different. But I also think that these these generations have learned how to do things they love mm-hmm. and to take care of themselves and to put themselves fully into something that is empowering to them. Well, and he talks about the word narcissistic and it's such an ambiguous word. Yeah, like is. you can, somebody might be really self-confident and somebody might call them narcissistic, narcissistic yeah. and there's nothing wrong with having self-confidence. So it's such an ambiguous word. And well, narcissism by definition is a clinical mm-hmm. word. Right. Narcissism can be, it's a personality disorder. Yeah. It can be, it's, you know, for therapists, we use it as a way to describe someone whose life is falling apart 
because of their nar- narcissistic behaviors. Right. So narcissism, when we call someone a narcissist, that's a pretty extreme. Right. They can show narcissistic behavior. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are categorically a narcissist. And by the way, just like you said, confidence is not narcissistic. Right. And, you know, we have to differentiate. It's like the whole thing with the banning bossy campaign mm-hmm. with girls. When a girl says, I want to do this, I think I can do this, I want to change this, and we say you're being bossy, you're being too assertive. And we just have this way where our nostalgia about the way we did it gets all intermixed with the way we think the next generation should be doing it. Right. And we have to expand our awareness of you know, we can still teach them, we can still be mentors, and maybe they do need some reining in, right. you know, like, okay, wait, because I needed it. Right. At my first job, I wasn't too in my integrity all the time. Right. You know, we'd leave early and make choices that weren't great, but I needed mentors and people to show me, okay, here's how you use your skill set, and here's the things that you need to do if you want to be respected in this field. So instead of writing them off, let's embrace them right. and respect them. Just like universal principles, Todd, this is no different than the way we parent. Mm -hmm. This is no different in the way we treat ourselves. This is no different in the way we treat someone we see on the street. It's when we blame and label and decide this whole generation has gone to hell. Well, and in the book, like I said, I'm only two chapters in, but he goes back and looks at these books that were written and, you know, the, he'll, he'll read something from a book and it'll be like, kids aren't the same these days. The society's going to hell in a handbag. And, you know, you'll, you the author is saying it as if you think that it's a book Present that's time, current yeah. and then he'll say the date of it. It'll be like 1948. Yeah. And then he goes back to another book or of research that back, that dated back to 1918. And then he did another one back from the 1800s. And then he actually went all the way back to some quote that Socrates said in ancient Greece or whenever Socrates was around. Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> and so I don't know. I just feel like it's just the same story being told over and over. And it really isn't any different. There may be some variations, but people, old people have been badgering young people forever exactly, or, or name calling them or, or, um, saying they're not doing it the way they're supposed to be doing it. Yeah. Like it. I think of John Hughes, because I feel like John Hughes was a voice for the young yeah, as was. an old person. How lucky were we that we're the John Hughes generation? Right. I remember a really long period of time going, you and I had, uh, you know, people our age had all those movies mm-hmm. to kind of see ourselves. Right. And then a huge period of time went by until Clueless came out, right. which was kind of another, yeah. you know good voice for, you know, the youth and it was a little crazier. But my point is, is that we were able to kind of see ourselves Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, we're not really, we're not that bad. We actually are, are open-minded and heart-centered and willing to, to do difficult things and willing to say difficult things and willing to interact with each other. And sometimes it's the adults that tell us to fear ourselves and society and other people. And so, you know, like you said, God bless John Hughes. I've caught a glimpse Right Yeah How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test What's the quote where he says These children these that you children s- that we spit on As they try to take, Turn that off so I can These children that we spit on As, as they, they try, try to, to change, change their, their world Are immune to our consultations right. They're quite aware of what they're going through have to see a different man so anyways, they're quite aware of what they're going through right? and they're having a difficult time. And instead of telling them that they shouldn't be having a difficult time, we empathize with them and we say, hey, I can see why this would be challenging. 
I'll support you. Right. And and sometimes you're going to bang your head up against the wall, just like, you know, I'm talking about interviewing 20-year-olds or whatever. They're going to drive you crazy, just like your kids do when they're growing up. But we got to recognize our job is to not put other people down and try and be better. Are you trying to find it? Um, yeah, here it is. Same. And these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware what they're going through. And that's the first line in Breakfast Club, I think. That's it's what the it's, quote that he puts up on uh, the screen. The quote, so yeah. chalk one up for John Hughes and yeah. David Bowie, for that matter. Yeah. That's right. Um, So are we done talking about this? Um, Moral of the story is quit ragging on your kids (laughs) or ragging on other kids. You know what? Paradigm shift. All it is, it doesn't mean that 20-year-olds or teenagers or your kids are not challenges sometimes. They are. It's not about it's this or that. It's about they are, but how are you going to view it? Mm -hmm. Are you going to say it shouldn't be that way and they should be like me? Or are you going to say, okay, I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to open up my mind. How can I relate to this person and how can I help them relate to me? Our needs are important too. It's not about making them more important. It's about finding a commonality. Mm. And and when you find commonalities, when you greet people that way, Everything changes when you when you greet people with, I don't like what you are and you should be different and you should be like me, they're natural. They get defensive. Yeah. And then they'll show up just the way you thought they were going yeah. to negatively. Figure out a way to connect. It may not be the same way that you needed it when you were a little kid, but things change and kids are a little bit different, but that doesn't mean they're any worse. They're just That's different. Right. And you know, like I'll just say this about my college kids, you know, people will say college kids are this or that, or they're manipulative, manipulative or whatever. I give them a lot of freedom to be who they are and then also create a structure and say, these are the expectations. And I stand by those expectations, but they are, they're, they're, What's, what am I trying to say? They're uh, they're good, mm-hmm. meaning they're setting a stage and saying you have to turn things in on time. Personal responsibility for life. You know, you need to do your work, and if you're not going to show up, someone else needs to show up for you. You need if you're not going to be here, you need to call me or email me. Mm-hmm. These are things about life, and if they can learn to do those in my class and then be free thinkers, right. isn't that what we're looking for? Right. So you don't have to be um, teaching, but that's the way we want to treat people. Is of course you have structure and expectation. But that you also give them the freedom to be themselves because they shouldn't be like you because you're you. Yeah. Enjoy being yourself and let other people enjoy being themselves. Just be you, sweetie. Be you. Um, All right. So the last thing is um, we were, we came in late last week. (laughs) We told our daughter that we'd be home by whatever time. So we did the Race to Nowhere showing and I um, told my daughters, um, our neighbors were home. And so my oldest daughter stayed home with the other two. And I said, we'll be home by about 8.30 or 9. Well, it just so happened I looked at my phone at 8.20 and she hadn't texted. So I knew that, you know, okay, everything's on the up and up. And then at 8.30, the movie ended and there ended up being a discussion. And so Todd and I ended up being in front of the group, kind of facilitating a discussion. So by the time we got out of there, it was what, 9.15? Something like that. And we got home and my daughter, my daughters, the youngest was asleep. They, she had done a good job and put everyone to bed. But they were like, where were you? Mm. They had texted a few times while we were facilitating. And they were really, they were kind of scared mm-hmm. because I didn't follow through with what I had said. And they were kind of upset and they were 100% Percent right. Correct, yeah. 
And it would have been very easy. And I did actually in the moment, just kind of like, oh, whatever. I mean, they're fine and all that. But then you very uh, intuitively or this is a big deal. It's because a huge if, deal. If they come in an hour or an hour and a half late, we would be have a very serious discussion with them. And so for me to kind of discount it like you're fine, no big deal, it is. It is. It's not – I what I said to them because they were upset and I said, you guys, you are so right and I am so sorry. And I explained why. I said, you know, your dad and I were facilitating this. It was not something we could, you know, easily leave. But I could have checked my phone again or I could have had the respect to say, hold on, I need to tell my kids I'm going to be a little bit late right. because – Todd, I would expect them to do that with me. Right. If they were going to be late, I would expect them to tell me. Right. And if they had tried to text me and I and if I had tried to text them and they didn't text back, I would be upset. See, that's where the hierarchy comes in because I think we as parents like, oh, well, we are above that. We are immune to being criticized by our kids. Right. When actually in that respect, we are completely even. There is no hierarchy. Right. I, if I expect you to do this for me, you absolutely should expect me to do this for you. Absolutely. And just as a grown up, like my initial reaction is like, oh, whatever, no big deal. And then it it is. And the thing is, is it may not be, you know, they were safe. They were good. Our neighbors were home. Everything was fine. But they... That is where trust is either damaged or built. And in that moment, I had, I, you know, you have a choice when you walk in the door. Do you say, oh, don't tell mm-hmm. me what to do or you guys should be in bed and kind of play the defensive card? Or do you actually say you are 100% right on target and I'm sorry and I learned something from this experience? Not in a, you know, I'm not on my knees begging for forgiveness. I'm saying this is the truth. Right. And and I said, and you know, we kind of laughed. I said, can you imagine if you girls said you were going to be home at 830 and you didn't get home till nine? Yeah. And they were like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, I know. Well, if nothing else, I'm mad because now the minute that they're an hour late or the day that they're an hour late, I'm like, yeah, well, you did it too. So I'm kind of frustrated at myself. Like I right. try to hold myself up to a high standard because I expect them to follow through with what they say. So I'm selfishly well, kind of bumming. But at the same time, Todd, I think that the conversation and the experience was done in such a way, because we talked about it a lot, even in the morning, that I don't think, and I'm not saying they're never going to be late. Right. Of course they are. But what I'm saying is that I don't think they're going to use it no. against us the no. way that you're saying. I can't imagine JC saying, well, you were late that one time because I completely took ownership of my irresponsibility. Now, one thing we did was we had a discussion, but there really were no consequences. And my guess is if they're late and hour late, there's probably going to be some consequences. So maybe we should self-impose some consequences no, on us. Well, that's like giving yourselves a timeout. That's where the adults But and aren't the there going to be consequences different. if she's an hour, an hour and a half late? A discussion. Mm-hmm. And but a, maybe that's it. Well, a discussion and a let's create a new plan. Mm-hmm. And maybe if there's, you know, how can we, we're playing hypotheticals right. here. I don't want to make something up out of the blue. Right. Um, the consequence is the conversation and the disappointment and the change in the structure of how we may have to run things based on the choices that are me- being made. Right. But, you know, it's not like I'm going right. to, you know. So, but the point is, is regardless of if you're late or you said you're going to do something and you didn't follow through, you don't have to beat yourself up and carry around shame about it. You take ownership for it. And then it goes away. When you make a mistake, own it. Apologize if necessary. Move the pain through you or your disappointment in yourself. Allow your children to speak what they need to say because... I think they were like, Whoa, oh, good. Mom and dad at least know that this wasn't right. Well, and it shows them that mom and dad are not perfect either. Exactly. And they believe me, they've got plenty of examples sure. of how we're not perfect. But, you know, we. My goal is to 
be as human as possible mm. because there's no way I can be perfect, so I'm not going to try that. But I am going to take ownership and personal responsibility for the choices I make that may scare them or harm yeah. them or it doesn't follow through with what I intended. Okay. We got a we got a close shop. We're 47 minutes in. That's all, that's all right. Um, so a few – one last um, – partner uh, message is uh, Jeremy Kraft owns a company called Avid Company and they do painting and remodeling all over the Chicagoland area. We've used them many times. They're very good at what they do. Uh, Give Jeremy a call at 630-956-1800 and it's avidco.net. And then some promotional stuff. Uh, October 8th, we're hosting that Replace the Race event at Bethel Church on St. Charles in Elmhurst at 7 o'clock. And um, if you want to get our podcasts and any messages sent directly to your email, all you have to do is subscribe on our uh, webpage, sendparentingradio.com. There's a subscribe button on the right-hand side. And our little voicemail thing. And our little voicemail thing. You can leave us a message. And we can play it on the show. People haven't been using that lately. I know. And then um, you have a book coming out in December? I do. December 1st is the official publication date, like where it's available everywhere. But I think I'll have access to it before then. So maybe for the people who listen. Um, we can set something yeah, up. Yeah, we'll set something up. But yeah, it's What's the name up. of the book? Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn. The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. All right. Can't wait for that. Um, give us iTunes reviews. Don't forget that. And um, if you shop Amazon, go to our link first because uh, we get a cut of that and it goes directly to our BU program. So mm-hmm. um, anything else, sweetie? I think that's it. I think that's it. Yep. All right. I guess that's it. <laughs> you don't have anything really profound to say as we end. Keep trucking. I'm trying. What about you? 